Hey everyone, welcome to another podcast with a Flyover Labs. We appreciate you uh, listening to us. Today we are very lucky to have a Brendan Kennedy. He's the CEO of Privateer Holdings, as well as president of Tilray and Leafly. And uh, Privateer is a private equity firm focused on the medical cannabis industry. So I'm really excited to have Brendan on um, on today, and I think we have a lot to chat about. Brendan, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on today. Definitely. And uh, so let's dive in. And I'm curious how your career evolved that now, you know, you're focused on medical cannabis. And uh, so, you know, what's your past and what interested you in this industry and um, what opportunity? Well, obviously, there's a lot of opportunities, but yeah, what did you see in it? Sure. Um, so I have a little bit of a, an eclectic background. Um, have an undergraduate degree in uh, architecture, um, a master's of science in engineering. Uh, I wrote software for project management for a while and uh, ended up uh, starting two really small technology companies as an entrepreneur in Seattle, uh, one in uh, 98 and another in uh, 2000. Um, both of them had uh, uh, extremely um, moderate exits um, <laughs> and uh, after that went to business school and uh, have an MBA uh, and so uh, coming out of business school I was recruited by a venture capital bank in Silicon Valley um, to start a new subsidiary as a, a founding team um, and was the CEO of, of that company. Uh, I left after uh, five years, uh, and we grew that from zero to 3,000 um, 3, clients, mostly venture capital-backed startups and venture capital firms. And five years ago, came across a, a technology company in the medical cannabis space, um, I guess really almost six years ago, May of 2010, and um, thought, well, that's that's something really different from uh, these you know, technology apps and uh, game companies and, and things like that that I was looking at in, in Silicon Valley. And I put together a small team to go around the world and, and try and understand the, the cannabis industry, the, the medical cannabis industry and the, the legal cannabis industry uh, all over the world. And uh, that's really how, how we started Primature Holdings. Interesting. And when you started looking at the industry six years ago, how was it different compared to now, especially like legalization, um, acceptance, like has the climate changed? Yeah, gosh. So, uh, so in May of 2010, um, you know, what's, what started this was this technology company I was looking at, and then I happened to listen to a radio show uh, on a drive from San Francisco to Santa Clara talking about California Proposition 19, which was on about uh, about six months later in November 2010. And um, that that started the, the search. It put together uh, with, a, with my partners, put together a team to go around and, and understand this industry. And so we went to places like California and Colorado and Oregon and Washington and, and went to uh, Canada and Jamaica and Israel and huh. the Netherlands um, and Spain to, to understand cannabis around the world and and ultimately got to the point where you know we really um, 
understood our thesis. Um, you know, our thesis was that um, this is a, a mainstream pro- product consumed by mainstream people uh, all over the world. And uh, because of that, the end of prohibition um, was inevitable. Hmm. Uh, and so we believed that uh, almost six years ago, and we certainly believe it today. Um, you know, over the last six years, uh, we've grown from about 15 medical cannabis states and zero recreational states to uh, 24 medical cannabis states uh, and four uh, recreational states. And I think we'll see 10 more, 10 more states. Um, enact some form of medical or recreational legalization uh, in 2016. Interesting. Okay. And does, does each state have their own kind of rules and laws and guidelines around medical cannabis? That's, that's exactly right. Each, um, each state um, uh, implements uh, its own regulatory framework and own uh, laws. Um, uh, interestingly, in many in many cases, uh, the regulations are you know, not only different from um, state to state, but uh, they can be completely opposite. Um, <laughs> uh, so, an example of that would be, yeah. for instance, something like packaging. Um, if some states and some countries require uh, all the packaging to be transparent, so that you can see uh, a whole flower, uh, you can see the the flower that you're producing. Uh, or that you're purchasing. Um, on the other hand, other states require all the packaging to be completely opaque so that uh, no one can see the product that, that they're purchase, purchasing. Um, you know, that's just one example, but uh, you, know, you can look at these you know, 200, 300 page uh, regulatory documents um, that are completely different from state to state and, and country to country. Wow. That keeps uh, your... Uh... Regulatory and legal team busy. <laughs> yes, uh, I would say the compliance and legal costs in this industry are really different from any industry I've ever worked in. Really interesting. Even more than I mean, well, it's probably similar to like, I suppose the pharmaceutical, but uh, maybe even more so. Uh, that's true. Interesting. So, could you give a maybe a brief overview? For everyone about uh, you know privateer holdings, Tilray, and Leafly, <clears throat> you're all, you're doing int- very interesting things with uh, all of them. Yeah, so um, you know when we were first looking at the industry uh, six years ago, you know in, the initial thing that we we got wrong was that we we thought we were building a venture capital fund and, and realized pretty quickly that this industry was was different. The mm-hmm. um, the sophistication of the uh, founding teams and management teams at um, at the company, the companies in the industry were, um, you know, they were just less sophisticated than what I was used to in Silicon Valley, and the the companies were slightly less professional. Um, they certainly improved a lot over the last six years, but we realized that we needed to uh, actively manage uh, and operate uh, the companies in in our portfolio. So we founded Privateer Holdings as a as a holding company. Um, a private equity holding company that uh, invests, builds, or acquires uh, portfolio companies around the world in in the cannabis industry. And so we have three uh, we have three uh, wholly owned subsidiaries uh, in our portfolio. Uh, a company called Leafly, uh, which is the the world's cannabis information source. 
Uh, so if you search for uh, any strain of cannabis anywhere in the world, um, typically the leaf weed will uh, come up at the top of your Google results. Um, so for instance, if you search for something like Blue Dream um, and or any of 2,000 strains, leaf weed would come up first. Uh, it provides information on cannabis strain, locations that provide them, uh, and there's daily uh, content around cannabis that uh, our content team produces. Um, the second company is called Tilray. Uh, Tilray is a federally licensed medical cannabis producer, processor, packager, and distributor in Canada. Um, so we hold one of uh, essentially 20 uh, licenses in Canada uh, where we uh, grow cannabis, we package it, we ship it directly to patients, and then uh, we also export from Canada to other countries that have uh, national medical cannabis programs. Uh, and then the, the third company is called Marley Natural um, that uh, we've done in partnership with the family of, of Bob Marley. Uh, we announced that brand a, a year ago, November 2014, um, and launched it uh, 10 days ago. Um, so the first Marley Natural uh, accessories and, and body care products and, and cannabis went on sale uh, 10 days ago um, uh, in, in select uh, locations. Wow. Interesting. So we got you uh, fresh off your Marley launch. I didn't know that. That's a, uh, and, and so with Marley, I mean, I don't know how you got that name. That's, that's impressive. And uh, are they, are, are you, you're selling, I know it's more uh, products like soap and um, lotion and stuff. Is that right? It's not actual cannabis or, it's four, it's four product lines. So there's a, uh, a body care line that uh, soap, lotions, creams, um, balms um, that use hemp seed oil and Jamaican botanicals. Um, and so those items can be sold in all 50 states and internationally. Okay. Um, and we're working with different retailers um, to distribute those. Um, there's an accessory line that um, is all uh, glass and American black walnut, um, you know, really different cannabis accessories, uh, you know, different from the typical accessories in this industry, which are a bit, um, uh, dorm roomish or high times uh, in, in design and, and look. Um, and then, uh, cannabis. Um, so that's whole flower and cannabis uh, oils and extracts. Um, and those those products launched in um, California. Uh, again, the accessories that I just mentioned, we can sell those in all fifty states and and international. Interesting. Uh, the final product line is it's soft goods, so uh, clothing and, and hats and, and things like that um, around Marley Natural. Okay. So you guys must be one of the the leaders in this industry, especially to uh with that brand that that doesn't hurt. Um, what. How and I was curious. How, did you raise outside money to start your private equity firm? From I know it sounds like you have a, a great VC background. Um, imagine you might have raised some money from them, or how did you get it going? Yeah, so we you know we started with our own capital. Uh, we bought the first company with our own capital uh, and uh, raised an initial round of seven million dollars, um, uh, mostly from individuals and. Uh, raised a follow-on round, a, a second round of capital that was uh, $75 million. Um, 
and that included uh, a few venture capital firms and uh, family offices that invested in that round. Um, it really it included the first uh, institutional investment, uh, not, only, not only in our company, but in the industry as a whole, uh, a group called Founders Fund, oh, yeah. uh, led, by, uh, led by an investor named Peter Thiel, um, who was the one of the founders of, of PayPal and the first outside investor in uh, Facebook um, and has invested in things like um, you know, SpaceX and Airbnb and, and the Lyft. Um, and they invested uh, with us. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a different industry. It's, it's, it's a hard industry for people to raise capital in. Um, but fortunately, that's something where uh, we've had some success today. Yes, I remember reading about the Farmers Fund a, a while back. Wait, what year did, the, did that happen? To... Uh, we announced that in January of 2015, so okay. a little over a year ago. Wow, that's a that's a, a sizable round. Um, so I'm curious, up in in uh, Canada, how are the prices set when you sell directly to consumers? Are you are you setting the prices, or are is that regulated? It's not, so it's a it's it's a fully um, uh, competitive market. And okay. So uh, we we set the prices, um, which uh, enables us to produce uh, products that are differentiated in the marketplace. Um, in Canada, we're known for uh, a a large variety of strains. So we produce about fifty strains in in our facility, and um, we're also known for uh, potency. And so we have uh, about a half a dozen strains that are um, you know, over uh, 28% uh, THC. Um, so, so very uh, potent strains for um, you know, people with uh, severe illnesses. What, uh, how potent is, I guess, what we call typical marijuana, or let's say 20 years ago, buying marijuana, what would be the potency? back then compared to 20 um or- you know so so a lot of it was quality so you, know, you can go to um you know a place like jamaica and um see you know find a uh you know eight nine ten eleven twelve percent thc strain um you know a a quality outdoor product in in northern california grown by someone who really knows what they're doing can uh, can average probably around 20 percent 21 22 percent um, and once you start getting above 25 percent um, you're you're looking at a product that was grown in a very controlled environment by um, by experts um, and so our facility in Canada it's a, it's a pharmaceutical grade facility it's a GMP good manufacturing process facility um, it looks a little bit more like, um, oh, something that you see in, at NASA, um, or if you've ever been, ever been to a pharmaceutical lab or a silicon wafer manufacturing facility, it, it looks more like that with people, um, clean rooms and people wearing suits and, um, you know, body suits and masks and, um, really complicated equipment. Um, it, it's unlike anything I've seen anywhere in the world and I've probably been in a thousand grows. Wow. And uh, so, do you do your own R and D on developing new strains? 
at the lab? And um, go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was going to ask how large the lab is and how you got it started. Like, how did you find the the person to run that lab? <laughs> yeah, so we started that with uh, six Americans, and there's now 130 uh, Canadians wow. um, <laughs> working at Tilray. Okay. Um, you know, we applied for a license and bought a building and built the company, built the brand uh, in in a really short amount of time. Um, you know, pulled off a couple of miracles, getting it done as quickly as we as we did. Um, the facility, is, the facility itself, is really a lab. Um, you know, there's 40 identical grow rooms where we can test um, single or multivariable uh, experiments uh, side by side, and so. Uh, we're constantly uh, innovating and learning, you know, growing the same strain in two rooms side by side with different nutrients or different lighting, um, you know, different different feed schedules, um, you know, different amounts of CO2 or oxygen in in the air, um, all different all different experiments to see what the best environment um, and conditions are for each each strain. And how how they're different, you know, each um, each strain or the different varieties, um, they're all a little bit uh, unique in terms of what they're looking for uh, and when they're looking for um, certain things. Interesting. And what's the if you want to introduce a new strain or a modified strain, what's the regulatory process? Uh, is there any regulatory process? Oh. What if you want to have any claims along with that, saying, "Hey, it helps with nausea, chemo, or what's the uh, yeah." Yeah, so that's a really complicated question. Um, let's start with the strain part. So on the strain part, um, there's not really a regulatory uh, body. Um, there's really uh, there's sort of an old school group of about eight companies in Europe, um, predominantly in, in the Netherlands around Amsterdam, although a lot of them have moved to Spain over the last five years. Um, who I would describe them all as seed companies who have a, a breeding team, you know, focused on um, either seeing, you know, looking for certain cannabinoids to be expressed, uh, so high THC versus high CBD, um, or certain terpenes. Um, so uh, terpenes meaning uh, things like pinene or mycene. So pinene uh, smells like a pine tree, and mycene smells like orange. Um, and so, or, uh, lemonine, which smells like lemon. And so, um, they breed for those specific, uh, expressions. Um, and there's, you know, roughly 80 cannabinoids of terpene, um, 80 cannabinoids and terpenes in, in cannabis. And so different, different strained, uh, bred by breeders, um, uh, sort of, uh, show different, different things. Um. You know, there are lots of strain names uh, like Jack Herrer, where multiple companies claim claim ownership. Um, it's it's something that is uh, constantly debated. It's not really a regulatory agency that that governs uh, who owns certain strain genetics. Uh, although we're starting to see with the legalization of of cannabis for medical purposes in Canada. Some of the uh, sort of uh, uh, the equivalent of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office um, uh, starting to see the Canadian equivalent uh, look at registering specific genetics and strains. Interesting. Okay. 
And do you see, um, are, there, are there a lot, well, I guess a couple of questions. One is, uh, what type of medical conditions, you know, for me, I'm familiar with the nausea and chemo as, uh, <laughs> for using cannabis, but what other type of medical conditions do you use cannabis for? Um, and are, are there more and more studies coming out on showing the effectiveness of cannabis versus, you know, more traditional uh, pharmaceuticals? Um, so I'll start with the second part first. Um, so in the U S uh, you know, part of, um, part of the fact that cannabis or one of the results of the, of cannabis being a schedule one narcotic, um, is that schedule one means that there's no medical use. Uh, it's a dangerous product that has a high potential for abuse. So cannabis is, uh, grouped with heroin and LSD. Um, <laughs> Which means that we we don't do a whole lot of research on on cannabis in the U.S. Um, which means we sort of cede that intellectual property to other companies in other countries. Uh, so uh, at Tilray, we are funding or supplying study drug material to um, a PTSD study for Canadian military vets uh, in in Canada for uh, with with partnership um, with the University of British Columbia. We're doing a childhood epilepsy study, uh, an adult epilepsy study. In Australia, we're doing a chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting study. Um, looking at a pain study there as well. In uh, Ireland, we're looking at a arthritis, uh, glaucoma um, study. And so we're supplying, supplying study drug from Canada to different researchers and government agencies uh, around the world, um, everywhere but the U.S., uh, to research um, the efficacy of, of cannabis and medical cannabis products uh, on a, a large variety of, of different uh, illnesses and conditions. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, that brings up a good point that when I hear medical cannabis or marijuana, I think, you know, the media is more like, oh, street drug. But really, you guys are just a, like a... I don't know about next generation, but a pharmaceutical company in, in the sense that, you know, helping to treat people and run and doing it with a, an effective, effective medicine. It's just, a, it just has a stranger history than <laughs> more traditional pharmaceuticals. It has a stranger history, although it's a product that you know, humans have been consuming for you know, five to 10,000 years without, um, Good point. Good without casual, without casualties and without, um, the, the addictiveness of, you know, certainly products like nicotine and tobacco, but also, you know, products like prescription painkillers and uh, opioids that are so prevalent um, in the United States and around the world. Yeah. And wh- I mean, what do you th- think is the biggest uh, roadblock to really expanding even more um, the medical cannabis, I guess, in the United States, especially? Is it the perception or regulations or... No, I think it's just it's just time. Um, okay. If you look at polling, if you look at polling numbers, um, and even you know, I was in Washington D.C. in uh, my last trip was in November, and I met with uh, eight members of Congress, um, and you know, six of them were on the Senate side, two were in the House. Um, more interestingly, six of them were Republicans, and, and two were Democrats, and. Yeah, all the Republicans, um, they all they all realize that the end of cannabis prohibition is inevitable. Um, and certainly, 
the elected officials realize that, but their staffers who are all, you know, 20 to 35 years old uh, in age, um, they all they all know the inevitability of, of the end of prohibition um, or legalization. And so um, it's just a matter of time, uh, a little bit more research um, and a little bit more, uh, a few more uh, Americans embracing legalization. You know, currently, about 85% plus of Americans believe that medical cannabis should be legal if prescribed by a doctor. Uh, you know, eight out of ten. You can't get eight out of ten Americans to agree on anything, no. but they agree on that. Um, and uh, about fifty-eight percent of Americans believe that um, recreational cannabis should should be legal. Uh, so, solid majority. Um, I think we'll get to around sixty-five percent um, in the next twenty-four months. Um, at which point, it becomes pretty silly for a federal government to be arresting people and incarcerating them and prosecuting them and, and uh, paying to keep them in jail um, when the majority of Americans believe that that's a waste of time and energy and human capital. Interesting. And, and I have a couple more questions that I think are about out of time. Um, I, I've heard that someone's financial services and banking is tough with this industry, especially in the United States. Is that is that what you found, and um, is it the same in Canada? I, I don't think. Do you have any dispensaries in the United States? I don't think you do. Or I, I, we we don't. Okay. So um, we uh, and we have one of the big five banks in in Canada that has no uh, banking issues. Uh, you know, it's really different there in that we have a, a federal a federal license. Um, in in the United States, um, we've had banking issues in the past, um, and have had uh, I guess we've had bank accounts shut down twice. Um, uh, the first time was very quick. The second time was with a um, a large uh, bank based in the Midwest, and uh, one day a compliance officer saw me on um, I think it was CNBC and said, "That's one of my clients." You know, I didn't realize they were in the campus industry and. We got a notice to shut down our our bank account. Um, we we just hired someone from the U.S. Federal Reserve uh, from the San Francisco branch to be our um, uh, to be focusing to focus on banking and uh, bank compliance. Um, and so you know, we've got very good relationships with our uh, uh, banks, and they they understand what we're doing, um, and they. Um, uh, feel very comfortable with their relationship with us. But it's a huge issue for the industry as a whole. Um, most of the companies in the industry are forced to conduct all transactions in, in cash, uh, which creates a really uh, dangerous environment. You know, I've been in, I've been in a room with a million dollars in cash. I've been in a room with two million dollars in cash. And it's, um, it's a little bit unsettling. Um, and it doesn't smell very good either. No. Wow. That's probably one thing that I was going to ask what the government could do to help make it safer, but it sounds like one thing they could do is help help open up the financial services industry to the medical cannabis. That's the number one thing the federal government could do to to uh, make the industry uh, safer as a whole. Interesting. And uh, so, what opportunities do you see in the medical cannabis? What if there's somebody listening who's like really like this industry? 
like what Brennan's doing. You know, we're obviously you guys are behemoths, behemoths in the industry. But uh, you know, what other startups do you see or niches that are potentials in the United States or even across the world? Is it? Oh gosh, um, you know, we have between Privateer Holdings and Leafly, Tilray, Barnley Natural, we have about 250 uh, smart professional employees um, wow. who. Uh, who come to us from places like the DEA and the U.S. Federal Reserve or um, places like Microsoft and Amazon and T-Mobile and, and a, a fair number of people from Starbucks. Um, you know, we, we have people who are focused on, you know, legal work and compliance, um, you know, accounting, PR, HR, um, you know, uh, IT, uh, and then a, a fairly large and substantial marketing and branding team um, focused on on marketing and branding our our company. Um, you know, there's lots of jobs in in the industry. It's a growth industry. I think it's a growth industry regardless of what happens um, either nationally uh, with the economy or at a global macroeconomic level. Um, it's, it's going to be a growth industry regardless of what happens um, and regardless of what happens in the overall economy or uh, on a state-by-state -state basis in terms of uh, legalization. So there's lots of jobs, there's lots of opportunity for lots of different people with uh, a lot of different skill sets. Um, you know, if someone were looking to get into the industry, um, I would look at other business models. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time reading about the end of alcohol prohibition um, in the, the 1930s. Uh, I spent a lot of time looking at other industries that um, that emerged, um, you know, look at things like uh, the emergence of bananas um, in, in the United States um, you know, between 1900 and 1910, uh, sort of a new agricultural commodity that wasn't being sold in the U.S. and then suddenly, you know, everyone was buying bananas. Um, you, know, you look at the internet, um, uh, look at other products that have, that have emerged and see what, what companies are in those industries. So look at alcohol, look at all the different companies in the alcohol um, industry, all the various alcohol company niches, and, and think about whether or not there's an opportunity like that in, in the cannabis industry. Oh, that's a good idea. That makes sense. All right, well... I can keep talking for a while, but we should probably uh, end the calls. Uh, but I definitely appreciate your time, Brennan. This is uh, fascinating to learn more about uh, what you're doing and the medical cannabis industry in general. Well, thanks so much for interesting. Uh, I had fun.